On this episode of Powered by Battery, we chat with Luke Bonney, the CEO of healthcare IT company Redox. Bonnie's company is in some ways right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. It supplies technology to help facilitate telehealth services and even diagnostic virus testing. What's more, Redox's almost all remote workforce offers lessons to other companies that have had to quickly spin up remote operations recently. Have a listen. Well, Luke Bonney, welcome to Powered by Battery. Thank you so much for having me. So let, let's just dive in. Battery does a lot of investing in companies that are based in, you might say, out of the way places, at least for venture capital investment. And Redox, your company, is based in Wisconsin. So tell me what it's like to be a cutting edge software company based in Wisconsin. Sure. Yeah. And, and the first thing I would say is we we were founded in Wisconsin and a lot of our DNA is here in Wisconsin, but we are a fully remote company as well. Um, and obviously we'll talk about that as as uh, what that meant for us as the impact of COVID-19 was felt. Um, but I think we we at our core still have the DNA of being a Wisconsin company. And for us, uh, being founded in Madison uh, was really a no brainer. Um, my, my personal path to Madison was, uh, uh, of course, a little convoluted. I graduated in 2008, not dissimilar from what's going on today. <laughs> uh, wasn't exactly a thriving job market. Um, I was a, a pre-med student who decided I didn't want to be a doctor. I had worked at a, at a software company and fell in love with technology. And uh, the job that I ended up accepting was at, a, uh, at that point, this little company called Epic. Uh, which did electronic health records out here in, in mm -hmm. Wisconsin. And at that point, I literally couldn't put it on a map. Um, yeah. I came out here, loved it. Um, Madison, I think similar to a lot of college towns, has uh, incredible intellectual capital. University of Wisconsin is a world-class university. So that plus a tech company of, of over 10,000 people, um, there's, really, there's, there's actually a thriving tech scene here. Uh, with a number of startups, uh, uh, a growing number of venture-backed startups and uh, and VCs themselves, so it's it's, it's been great. It. Yeah, the Epic story is amazing. It's sort of like the biggest tech company you've never heard of, right? You said ten thousand employees. Yeah, ten thousand employees, and their software touches uh, north of fifty-five percent of, of I don't know what the exact number is, but north of fifty-five percent of patients in the country. Basically, uh, you know, most of the health systems you've ever heard of are are run on Epic's uh, software. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you and I think a co-founder or two were all working at Epic when did something happen that gave you the idea for Redox? Yeah. Uh, there's three of us who, who uh, are co-founders of, of Redox and, and still run the company. Uh, myself, James, who's our CTO, and Nico, who is our head of special projects. Um, we all left for different reasons. There wasn't like a, an event or anything like that. I think we were all ready for the next chapter in our lives. And the three of us actually came together. The, the first project we worked on was called 100 Health. And the the tagline for 100 Health was we were going to start 100 digital health companies in Madison over the next five years. It was basically That's ambitious. <laughs> yeah, quite ambitious. Um, it was basically an early stage digital health incubator. And it was really it was it was founded on two core ideas. Number one, uh, in the past a uh, few years, healthcare had had really gone digital. Um, the Affordable Care Act incentivized the adoption of electronic health records as we went from paper to electronic. So that was idea number one. And idea number two was Madison had this really unique opportunity because of all this very specific talent uh, that was highly specialized in healthcare IT. 
So we said digital health is going to explode, and we think Madison uh, is going to be one of the places it comes out of. And Redox was really born out of running 100 Health. So we actually had a first cohort of, of uh, companies, uh, seven different digital health companies. We worked uh, with those guys for close to a year. And what we saw was that scaling data integration in healthcare for cloud-based applications was terrible. It was the number one thing holding back their ability to integrate. Um, so we said, if we want to really have impact and really do something good in healthcare, let's solve that problem. Um, and that was really the birth of Redox. Maybe maybe walk us through that. Like, maybe give me an example of how that works in practice, how the integration doesn't work well. Yeah. So, so just to describe specifically what we do, um, we make healthcare data integration easy and scalable for applications of all shapes and sizes. Um, if you're building an application that needs to exchange healthcare data, we are your absolute best friend. Um, mm -hmm. So we have a platform, a set of developer tools, a single consistent API and data model, and today a network of over 700 healthcare organizations that we're connected to, along with an ecosystem of thousands and thousands of developers. So our customers, our customers are anybody from early stage startups to large enterprises who need to exchange healthcare data. And we help them connect up to anybody, anywhere from a small independent physician practice up to some of the largest uh, healthcare organizations in the world, like the Cle like Cleveland Clinic or Intermountain or, or any of those folks. Because th that was my question is just what kinds of apps are we talking about? So these, it sounds like these could be apps made by startups or apps developed by hospitals and other medical groups. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the time of COVID-19, I think we are as a country becoming more aware of a lot of this technology, but, but think about all the people you've heard of who have interacted with their doctor remotely, whether that's uh, you know, a chat or a, a, a video visit. Um, folks like those are, are, have, have been our customers for a long time. And now what we're seeing is demand for their products are exploding. Okay, well, that that was kind of the next big area I wanted to talk about is how, you know, you guys are a health tech company operating in the middle of the biggest healthcare crisis we've seen in decades or longer. I'm not sure, certainly since I've been alive. So let's kind of break down how it's affecting you. So number one is you guys do kind of play in telehealth, it sounds like. So what what's going on with your business? Yeah, so the, you know, I'll, I'll talk first maybe about impact to our customers and then I can talk second about impact to our to our team and all, right. all of our redoxers so as a platform company we think about our customers kind of as a portfolio where we have categories of customers and different um, technology verticals and you can imagine that some of those uh, technology categories have been hit really hard so folks that are really focused um, on elective procedures you know elective procedures have basically gone to zero uh, as part of COVID-19 um, but at the same time, we have part of the, you know, part of our customer portfolio that is experiencing generational demand for their technology. Telemedicine is one of those examples. We, we call these groups uh, high demand verticals. So yeah. telemedicine falls into this. Um, we're seeing a huge uh, uh, amount of demand for remote patient monitoring. So anything we can do to get patients out of the hospital uh, and at home. So how could we monitor a patient from their home and still provide great care? And then the third category would be uh, diagnostics. So you could imagine all the different ways we could accelerate 
um, testing uh, uh, for COVID-19. And this has been really interesting for us because as we partner with these kind of different categories of our customers, for some groups, it's being there as a trusted partner to do whatever we can to help them through this. For those in high demand, we're developing rapid deployment models, different marketing campaigns to see how, how we can partner with them to accelerate their growth as much as possible. And we've seen examples of, uh, we've had a couple telemedicine groups go from literal first touch to completely live uh, and impacting patients in less than 10 days, which in healthcare is is an amazing feat. Um, and you and, and just to break it, so so to break it down, like with that telehealth example, then I want to go back to diagnostics and testing because that sure. sounds super interesting too. But with the telehealth, exactly, what is your technology doing? Like, who are you in that equation? Who are you connecting, and what's it doing? So think about the our customer as the the company that is building a telehealth application. And okay. at its core, what a telehealth application needs to do is connect a patient with a provider in a way that is secure and allows them to, to interact effectively. So the question is really what data does that application need in order for its users to, to have a, a great interaction? Our job is to go and get that data for that application. Um, so a telehealth application, let's take a company, you've probably heard of it called Teladoc, who, who's a mm-hmm. customer of ours who we work with all the time. The first question is, um, what's the scheduled appointment? When is that patient going to be seen? Who, who are they going to see? Which doctor? Second question is, what's that, ex- that patient's existing medical information? What's their allergies? What's their, li- what's their medications? What's their existing mm-hmm. uh, vital signs? And then what's the outcome of the actual interaction? So is that, is that you know, whatever the, the, the clinical note or the order, whatever it needs to be. So our job is to allow that interaction between that patient and that provider um, in a seamless way where what we're doing is taking all that data, manipulating it so it goes to where it needs to at whatever healthcare organization um, is relevant. Okay, so you guys are some pretty important connective glue, it sounds like, that makes this all happen. <laughs> yeah, yes, we are critical infrastructure to, to power a lot of these, uh, a lot of these interactions. Okay, what, and I want to go back to what you said about diagnostics. You said there's ways we can accelerate testing. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, similarly, we have customers. So if Teladoc is an example, uh, another one of our customers is a group called Precision Genetics. Um, and they're a diagnostic company and have really oriented their business since COVID-19 around how can we help uh, literally accelerate the testing of, of people like you and me to see if they test positive for COVID-19. Um, so what we're doing there is supporting the uh, ordering of the test. So if, uh, if you go in and the doctor says, yes, you should get tested, um, they place that order in their electronic health record, send that order out to Precision Genetics, they process it. Um, they say, you know, it's, it's a saliva sample or whatever, test positive, test negative, send it back. And we're, we're the in-between that's translating all of that data. So we have a number of customers that are basically figured out how to scale COVID-19 testing uh, across entire states uh, by using wow. existing technology, which is so exciting. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like the government could use your help. So maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely involved in, in, in those conversations. I, I think what's really interesting is there's, you know, 
is this going to be solved at a federal level? Is it going to be solved at, solved at, a, at a city, state, or regional level? We're still figuring that out. Um, but yeah, we think there's you know there's there's tons of opportunities for us to to be helpful. And and I want I do want to get back to you know kind of the the broader not just business challenges and opportunities but management challenges that you're facing. But before we do that, let's let's talk about how this crisis and this whole work from home thing has affected mm-hmm. Redox because you said you guys were already primarily remote, you know, unlike a lot of companies that have had to, you know, super quickly figure out how to run companies on Slack and on Zoom. How has this affected you guys since you were already mostly remote? Yeah, the, the yeah, so I think the, the first shock of COVID-19 was was watching the country and, and really the, the major parts of the world shift to this work at home. Our first response was we we said, you know, we've been doing this for five years. Let's start sharing. So we were the first couple of weeks of COVID-19, we were literally putting on webinars that had hundreds and hundreds of attendees to say, how do you how do you run a company at scale remotely? Um, So that was kind of phase one. What we really got into and and, and kind of how we've been thinking about it is is number one. we've tried to be really precise with measuring the impact to capacity. The biggest thing that we're seeing is uh, impact of kids at home is significant. Impact of uh, having to take care of of sick family members or if if somebody, you know, a team member gets sick. And then just the cognitive load, right? Like it's, it's, we are very open talking about the fact that the world and, and the, the kind of heightened level of, cert- of uncertainty, that's tough to deal with. So every two weeks, we set up a process where we basically, uh, we survey everybody and we say, where are you? And that gives us information to say, where are we, uh, where are we tight, you know, from a capacity standpoint, where is there some room? And then we do a lot to facilitate, you know, what we talk of as the flexing of, of folks across roles to help out. So that's been number one is, I would say, capacity. Number two is um, just helping people feel connected. Um, we have employee resource groups. I'm sure a lot of folks do. But we have, there's been awesome examples. We have like Tuesday night remote euchre night, like playing cards. We've, we've literally had parents come together and read bedtime stories to different kids. Oh, wow. Um, so like it's, it's, it's been an opportunity to really get uh, more intimate and, and personal with folks. And what we do is we encourage it and then we celebrate it. And then the last thing I would say is I take my job, uh, you know, I, I think one of my, I would say my top focus in all of this is really chief communication officer. So I really believe that for, for folks to stay focused and have confidence, uh, they need to feel like they know what's going on. So uh, I think I've recorded something like 15 videos uh, since COVID-19 started, to, you know, two to five minute videos, just little clips and publish them to the company just to let them know where I'm at, let them know what I'm focused on. And I think that's been huge. And then obviously very frequent communication with our board um, as needed. Okay, that's great. That's great. And I know that, you know, pre-COVID, you guys had, partially because you were a mostly remote company, had a big, big focus on company culture. And it, it sounds like a lot of these things you're doing are really an outgrowth of that, right? Programs you were already running. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm i so thankful. I mean, cu- culture is, you know, at its core is how we behave and how we treat each other. And so much of that is based on the makeup of the company. And 
you know, two things. One is in crises like this, it, it you know, you, we, we all show our true colors and it's so exciting and I'm so proud of, of how we've responded. And then on the other side, it also highlights, you know, we were talking about earlier, we have a role to play, which I think is something that I try and talk a lot about. We, our work can literally support, um, you know, combating COVID-19. So we really try and think about, you know, keeping people focused on, we have a job, we have a purpose and we can have impact. Um, That's great. Um, it sounds like you're doing a great job anecdotally from what I've heard in the last few minutes, but, um, you are a first time CEO and, you know, a lot of CEOs of gigantic companies are, you know, struggling these days. Um, you had your management challenges, I'm sure before this pandemic started and you've got challenges now, how, how are they different and how are your priorities different? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, my, my, my first response to that is my overall kind of buckets of categories or buckets of, of priorities don't haven't shifted. I have four. Number one is people. Number two is strategy. Number three is execution. And number four is cash. And I did not come up with these this is straight out of what's called the, the, the scaling up framework or scaling up methodology. I think what's so different today is within those four buckets, um, you have to think about them very differently. Number one, we just, we, we have to recognize, I have to recognize that there's a much higher level of uncertainty. And just knowing that there's a much higher level of uncertainty changes how you think. You got to be more short term. You have to be willing to challenge existing assumptions, right? Like we have years and years of, of data that describes conversion rates for our pipeline. We need to go and say, is that going to be true in this new world of COVID-19? We don't know. The availability of cash, cash, whether that's, you know, uh, cash from a customer standpoint, as they are either successful or struggling cash from an investor standpoint, um, cash from a federal standpoint, <laughs> all of us, you know, thinking about the SBA program and, and, and the PPP. So the first thing we tried to get really clear on is we have to recognize in this heightened sense of uncertainty, we have to be more short term focused. We have to challenge our existing assumptions. We just have to recognize that, that we need to be way more focused on cash specifically. The last thing is um, test aggressively. Like every week we are testing saying, here's our new cash plan. Here are the core assumptions. Each of those core assumptions has a test that we are running every week to say, is this true or not true? Because we're going to have to make decisions really quickly. Right. Now, have you got, have you guys had to do rips? Have you had to let people go or no? Up to this point, we've been good. You know, we, we, our plan has been, um, you know, we, we immediately put in a hiring, uh, a hiring freeze. We immediately started aligning people around, um, how can we pull costs out? You know, we, we had a couple co-working spaces that we closed. We found, uh, millions of dollars, you know, annualized expense in software, we were using and then some of the most exciting stuff is our engineering team getting really uh proactive to cut some of our core infrastructure costs so at this point we've been you know we're we've been able to to say based on our plan uh you know we can uh we can stay the course um but i would also just say that to the previous point there's a whole bunch of unknowns and i think that the biggest unknown for us is 
really the financial impact of COVID-19 on U.S. healthcare. Right. What does it mean? So our customers, customers, the healthcare organizations, what does it mean? There's two things. What does it cost them to, to care for COVID-19 patients? We know that those are negative margin patients. So they literally lose money every day. They're treated COVID-19 mm -hmm. patients. And number two, where they typically make up for that is elective procedures, which are basically at zero uh, because of social distancing. So this is just one of those things where we have to be really focused on understanding what does that impact and how does that impact impact our customers then ultimately us. Uh, so that's what we're testing very, very regularly. No, that's fascinating. It's interesting because this is these are positive and negative forces on your business, right? Long-term healthcare policy would seem to play in your favor, right? With the Affordable Care yes. Act and other things, but short-term, yeah, short-term, it's going to be difficult. Who who are you, you know, I know you, you mentioned you're talking to your investors and stuff, but, you know, I think we're all kind of flying blind in many respects today. Who who are you relying on for news, for advice, for data? I mean, any, any you know, I'm, I'm thinking of this as far as like lessons or resources that other CEOs could take advantage of as well. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I have been leaning on members of the board significantly. The way I think about it is, they have their portfolio. Um, so I've been asking them <laughs> aggressively and regularly, what are you seeing? You have, you know, 10X or, you know, 20X the number of data points in terms of the company. So I've been doing a lot there. I've been doing a lot with um, trying to talk to CEOs and founders of other companies in our space. Um, I think the people who whose businesses are impacted are, are going to be the most informed, the people who are trying to deeply understand their customers. Um, so other CEOs and founders, our customers would be the, the, the third and not just talk to them, but also watching their behavior. And then the fourth is just our own data that we can produce. So, you know, because of what we do, we can look at traffic volumes and we can look at the, you know, what's trending up and what's trending down and why is it different by different geographies and things like that. So, um, but it's hard, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. I was gonna, I was going to say something we hear, sorry to interrupt, but something we hear from other CEOs too, is that there can almost be too much information and advice, right? You know what I mean? Everybody, because nobody really knows what's going on and can predict it. That's difficult as well to know when to stop and say, okay, you know, no one really has the answers. I've got to figure this out for myself. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I think the hardest thing is understanding how to, how to separate the broader economic indicators with what's going to specifically impact our market and our customers. And that's really hard. And I think what a lot of people are going through is a study of how interconnected the economy is, which is fascinating, but also gives rise to this like sense of paranoia. Am I thinking of, you know, are we thinking about this in enough, in enough detail? And at the end of the day, I just think that the best answer is, at least for us, has been agree on the key indicators that you think have the highest uh, predictive strength and measure them relentlessly. So that's what we've been trying to do. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, trying to kind of end on a, on a brighter note, as we think about coming out of this period, eventually, you know, we talked about the short-term impact COVID is having on healthcare um, as far as, you know, I, I mean, again, I'm reading the stories too about smaller providers potentially going out of business, you know, because no one's going to the doctor. 
Longer term, though, I would think you are still very bullish about your opportunities as healthcare changes. What what policy changes do you think could come out of this, or are there policy changes that may, you know, it sounds yeah. it seems to me like it might even be helping your business in the long term going forward? Yeah, I th- I think there there was existing uh, policy that was coming into into play in 2020 around the 21st Century Cures Act, and we we clearly see that as, as significant tailwinds for, for our business and for what we're trying to do. Um, that regulation is going to bring down barriers to bring in more technologists. It's going to more closely align uh, payers and bring them into this uh, overall data sharing equation. And really what, you know, I think what, what people are most excited about is to do more and more to provide more and more regulation infrastructure to empower patients as consumers. So for us, we look at all that and, and really what it paints a picture of is uh, a growing number of technology companies and applications that, that we could be there to serve. So from that standpoint, we're, we're super excited and super bullish. And we think the regulatory um, overall, I mean, we could argue about the different kind of specifics, but overall, we think the regulation is pointed in a really exciting direction. So from that, that category, really excited about that. There's a second category of regulation, which is like all the regulatory that's changed, all the regulation that's changed because of a response to COVID-19. And I think telemedicine is a great example. Um, the, the clearest one is, you know, it's been a 10 year fight to get states and the government to reimburse appropriately uh, for telemedicine visits. Right. Guess what? Guess what happened overnight? <laughs> we, we got approval approval for uh, uh, appropriate reimbursement. Similarly, you know, I think there's a there's been a lot of movement on how we can um, shift parts of HIPAA uh, in order to serve public health interests, right? How can we, for example, uh, get sick people to beds, right? We have some areas that you know are are overflowing, and some areas that are that are empty. How can we start to steer folks towards uh, from a capacity standpoint? So the question with that is how much of that is enduring? How much of that's going to stick around versus how much of that goes away after the crisis? And right now, I think the answer is the the important stuff uh, like reimbursement for, for telemedicine visits. That's going to stick around. That's a new normal. Um, and it's a new normal yeah. that I think is going to benefit all of us. I would be irresponsible if I didn't in these, as all the TV ads say, in these uncertain times, in these difficult times, how you and your family are doing personally, any, you know, you guys doing okay health-wise and any life hacks or childcare hacks that you want to share with the rest of us? Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you asked the question. I think it's a really important question. I, um, this is actually something that I, I talk about with, with, uh, redoxers all the time. The things that have been really, there's three things that are really critical to me staying sane <laughs> throughout all of this. Uh, number one is um, to just be very explicit with protected family time. So for me, mm-hmm. that is 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., no work. It's 100% dedicated to time with my wife, Kelsey, and our 21 uh, month old uh, son, Zeke. Uh, I don't get that hundred percent of the time, but I try really hard to protect that time. And that's been huge. Number two is for me, daily physical exercise is critical. Um, so I have one quarantine buddy. He's my best friend. He literally lives three blocks away. 
we do some level of, of serious physical workout um, every day, uh, which has been really critical. And then the, the third has been um, really just a, in a, a stated agreement with, with me and Kelsey, my wife, that um, this is a time to invest in our marriage and in our relationship and to go out of our way to check in with each other, um, you know, to, to learn how to operate more effectively as a team uh, and just to feel stronger as, as partners. And that I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that, that both of us are, are able to really both state and then dedicate time to those conversations. But that's really been the, the bedrock. Um, for me. I love that CEO management principles applied to marriage. I love it. All right, so operating as a team. You should talk to my wife before. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we'd go that far. <laughs> all right, all right. It's a nice idea, though. It sounds like a blog post. But all right. Any so anything else we haven't talked about? Just about you know about healthcare tech going forward, about Redox, about your view on you know managing people through these times. Anything else that you'd want to share with people? I guess yeah, I would just end with um, one thing that this this whole crisis has definitely validated for me is the importance of surrounding yourself with people who you trust and who you admire. And whether that's your team, whether that's your board, whether that's your investors, whether that's, you know, people in your life, um, a crisis like COVID-19, one of the things that I just feel constantly is just a sense of gratitude that I'm surrounded by people who I, who I really trust and respect, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it allows us to, you know, say, what is, what is the problem we need to solve? and then go solve that problem. Um, yeah, so I would just, I would close with that. All right, sounds good. Well, listen, some great insights. I'm glad you're doing well and best of luck to you guys as, as you continue to navigate these times. Awesome, this has been uh, really fun having this conversation with you. All right, great, me too.